0: Here at Text Talks, we constantly strive to spotlight authentic music trailblazers, which is why we're excited to have Text Talks styled by Ray-Ban this summer, helping us in our pursuit of featuring artists who are not afraid to be their authentic selves. You've got the look. Now come and have some fun with us in the sun. Together, Text Talks and Ray-Ban are saying, if you've got a challenge for us, no matter what it is, you are on. You can't predict the light, but with text Talks and Ray-Ban, you are always ready to capture it by living each day in the moment. You are on. Define your style at superbulous.com. Welcome to Text Talks. I am Tex, and today I am very, very excited because I am talking to the undisputed queen of Afro jazz, who is a prolific and versatile singer with multiple platinum-selling albums to her name. Her soft and sultry timbre has dominated airwaves for close to two decades, and she continues to impress with her ability to adapt to the changing face of the music industry and is fully on top of social trends one engaging Instagram post at a time. I'm, of course, talking about the iconic Judith Sapuma. Judith, ma'am, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: Oh, man. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. And I am happy. I, You know, it feels like I'm about to get on stage, actually. So this is really, really exciting. Thank you for having me.
0: It's only a pleasure. Like I said, I'm very excited and I'm also very happy that you're able to settle into your interview with a a glass of Chardonnay on your side. I've got a glass oh, yeah. of Shannon yeah. on mine. You know, we're, <laughs> we're in this for the long
2: haul. <laughs> of course. <laughs>
0: now yeah. you are regarded as the queen of Afro jazz, which is a massive title. Uh, and let's be honest—you've—you've—you've you've, you've earned that crown with two decades in the music industry. But please take me back to growing up in Polokwane, in the township of Seshego. What memories are triggered when you think of home?
2: You know,
1: I remember the the the, 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 the dusty streets. You know, when we don't have them now anymore because they put tarred road all over in the middle of. Of, of homes, but I remember the smell of, of the dust because um, my mom used to come home around 4 o'clock from work, 4, 4.30 from work, and I would be playing soccer with the boys outside. And I knew that if she found me out there, I am going to get hiding. So <laughs> I had to make sure that I'm running into the house to go take either, listen, even if I was gray, I would put Vaseline on, on top of that gray, that, you know, <laughs> the, the, the gray, my gray feet so that she, she can think that I was at home and I would just be doing something, washing dishes or something because she never wanted me to play with boys. She says I was too much of a boy. I'm going to forget that I'm a girl. So I remember those moments so much. and And I remember how when we would come back from school, uh, because, I mean, we oh, my mom was very hard on us going to school. We used to like skipping school a lot, but she never allowed us. So how when we come back from school, everyone, our neighbors, everyone was your mother. So you'd be greeting mm. everyone as you're going home. And it was such a beautiful feeling. I had no time to be naughty. I could not be naughty because <laughs> I was being parented by everybody, guarded by everyone was my guardian. So... You know, it's all those those moments—my brothers and sisters, and the Sundays at church, all of that—and I was really, really young, so it were great moments, great memories.
0: And then, where did your love for music and your talent start to blossom? Where did you first realize, you know, I really have a knack for for music and for singing?
1: Um, you know, if I I, I would like I I mean. I want to believe that when I was in my mom's belly, I developed the love for music from hearing any kind of sound. Because my mom used to tell me that when I was two years old, it didn't matter where I was. I would be singing, just creating a song, humming anything. And they would always ask me, what are you singing? And I'd be like, my song? You know, from as early as two years old. So when I got to, let me say, possibly maybe around nine years old or so. I remember I was still, I was at school and they used to you know want us to sing at, at uh, either, um, what do we call them? Assembly, you know, mm-hmm, at assembly mm-hmm. before we go to classes. And they would ask me to, to sing and I would be so shy. I would never do it. And they put me in a choir and I was not even that confident, but I knew I loved being in the choir. So all those moments actually got me so excited. One day when I was forced—I think I was 11—I was forced to actually really sing at assembly, and I sang a hymn, and everybody just really—I became so, so loved and appreciated, you know, um, at that time. So it was really, really all always in me, and my high school, my 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 high primary school days and high school days were days where I actually think I started thinking actually this is something special
0: Mm. We were talking before we started recording this podcast and we were talking about the allure of Cape Town uh, how special Cape Town is and I know that in 1994 you moved to Cape Town in the pursuit of jazz and you attended the South African College of Music yeah. What was it about those years that you studied in Cape Town at the South African College of Music? What what happened during those years that made you realize, okay, this is now something that I want to
1: dedicate my life to? Uh, okay, so what happened is when I was in high school, I'm going to go back a little bit. When I was in high school, I we can wasn't... jump
0: around as much as you want.
1: Yeah. So when I was in high school, I we, I was very good with, with, um, with, with debate, being a part of the debate team, and was good with English, rather. So they got me to, we, we had an outdoor match. We had to go play with another school in Transkei. I, I think now it's called the Eastern Cape, but I'm, I think it's an Eastern Eastern Cape now. Mm-hmm. So we went to Trans Guy and when I got there they asked somebody to render an item after the whole match was done. And I sang a song called um uh, uh, mm,
2: uh that is that song, Paradise
1: Road. Come with me, down Paradise
2: Road, Paradise so, Road.
1: Yeah, Paradise Road. And when I sang Paradise Road, I, I got so so much. Um, I sang it so well that that was the day I wanted to actually sing. I wanted so much to find out more about music, what I can do, what I can't do. And I was still in like grade, um, actually, at nine, which is now grade what eleven. And from then onwards, I told myself that when I finish my matric, I'm gonna go pursue my music career to find out more about it it happened i applied to Vet university it didn't work out i applied to university of cape town it happened they accepted us and then unfortunately i could not go in that year so they asked me to go and get qualification which was grade uh six of the music theory so Mm -hmm. i did that at fuba academy in johannesburg the following year, I went to University of Cape Town, College of Music. Oh, my God. When I got to University of Cape Town, I remember coming out of a taxi at, uh, in Observatory mm-hmm. Road, just opposite Tugwell Hall. Tagwell Hall no, was just down from... Yes, it was just done, and then you go. I went to UCT,
0: so oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> you're just taking me back amazingly. So, and it was like you go up these stairs, and then there is the College of Music on your right hand side, oh, and there's nice. Tago Hall and Mark. What was it, Marquard? Marquard. I think it was the man's one, yeah, the Mark Yeah, was it? Yes, yeah, I think so. Yeah, is <laughs> the
0: and then Marquard was yes. the guy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the diaries. Yes. You know, and let me tell you that the first year when I got to, to UCT, I was asked to sing and that changed my, to sing with the big band. The first year when I got there and that changed my life. So the first year I got to UCT, University of Cape Town, I got forced rather. I was forced to sing How High the Moon by Ella Fitzgerald. And, oh my goodness, that was it for me. I became a star on that day and I never looked back.
0: You know, when I left Matric, I took one year off willingly and then another year off unwillingly because I applied to UCT um, at the beginning of my second year off and I didn't get in. So I had to take a second year because there wasn't another university that I wanted to go to. And eventually, when I did get accepted uh, my second time around, it was weird because taking two years off, I knew that there was something missing. Like I had started working at Zula Soundbar in Long Street as a bartender um, and it was great and I was making money, but I knew that something just didn't feel right. And yeah. my first year at UCT, I did a BA, a triple major in English and media and drama. And yeah. my first year at UCT filled this hole that I had that I actually, yeah. actually, to be honest, that I unconsciously didn't know that I had I knew that there was something missing and that something was tertiary education um and UCT is so special as an institution so I can only yeah, imagine yeah. that that your experience there must have been very
1: magical oh it was it was too much it was too much and the vibe you remember I came from Joburg mm. Joburg was just too hectic and I had been singing every weekend here and there with Slylo and, you know, at Kipi's now and then, and then I'm at school and then I'm at, you know, but when I got to Cape Town, there was no rush. There were, I felt so safe. And at that time, the rate of um, crime in Johannesburg was so high, mm. so high. And, you know, we were not safe. You didn't know whether you're, when you're walking, somebody approached you. You, you just... You're just in a state of panic now and then because you don't know who's coming to you and who's not. If a car is driving past, you don't know what's in that car or yeah. or, or what's not in it. You know. So, um, when I arrived in Cape Town, and I was so welcomed. Actually, I wasn't welcomed. There was a, there was someone actually. Oh my god! They walked past me when I came out of a taxi because we took a taxi from we took a bus from Joburg to Cape Town.
0: Oh and wow, okay.
1: T- yeah, I'm telling you. Oh my god, <laughs> you don't know humble beginnings, serious humble beginnings, I'm telling you. So we took a bus from Cape Town to from Joburg to Cape Town. And when we got to immediately when we got to Cape Town, in town, we had to take a taxi to um observatory mm-hmm. and not to uh Rosebank. Sorry, mm-hmm. Rosebank. Get off and then get into the school. But when I got out, out of my taxi there was this person who was students and they were girls. They laughed at me because I had this big Afro and I had it in the form of a pony. Like I just actually not a pony. I had my hair up, but I've got thick hair mm-hmm. and a lot of hair. So, and I was dark, you know, so, and I guess maybe my sense of dress code was not up to their standards. So they said, they started laughing at me. And nothing at my hair, and they said, "Oh my God, this one must definitely be from Africa." Not forgetting that we are in Africa. I know. Were they a bunch of white girls?
0: I don't remember even their faces. It oh, sounds. Like, it sounds to me like there were a bunch of white girls. Let's just be honest. <laughs> oh my God. And I'm
2: like,
1: what? You know, actually, that day I cried because. I'm 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 one of these soft I don't want even today I saw a girl crying. She was walking into the police station and I said to her, What's wrong? You know, I don't want people to feel like that. It's not a nice thing, you know. And you know, so when they did that to me, I was really, really crushed, you know. And anyway, I focused, I grabbed my bags and I went to school. But I realized when I got up there, once our the first day was hard, the second day was so beautiful because I got to be in an environment where on I was at home. I could hear the pianos bing, 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 down there and everybody's walking past and then, ooh, there's a an trombone here. There's, it was ju- I was just at home and it was just music all around. And mm. it changed my life so much.
0: You know, there is a sort of stigma with a lot yeah. of people where they think that studying music, right, especially studying voice, as an instrument is a waste of time because like, it's just music. Why do you need to study it? You know, but going the academic route and looking back on it, would you say that your degree really played a big role in helping you understand the intricacies of your craft?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Because, um, let me speak more, talk more about voice. Mm. So when I, one of the reasons why I wanted to study music was not so that I could actually make money, even though, yes, money we're uh, supposed to have it and and get it. I wanted to understand my voice more. And it, though I actually believed that there was something much more deeper and much more special about it. And I could learn it only at school. And when I got there, I realized that, technically you have to understand what you can do and what you cannot do how to approach and how not to approach and when you're sick what do you do what do you not do um, even, even singing styles of music how do you approach this style and I'm not talking about a genre I'm talking about a style of music how do you approach reggae how do you approach jazz opera, you know, and, and with opera, it's classical, I I was classically trained and that's where for me, um, I learned so much even today, whenever they say to me, Judith, you're a jazz singer. I'm like, Oh no, 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 I'm not. I'm a beautiful singer because I am, I've learned to actually, I can Gladly say that I have learned to perfect how to sing different styles of music. You give it to me, I went to sing in clubs when I was in Cape Town, which is where the maturity of my craft began. Mm. I learned it from there. From singing in clubs, where on at school you've done all these technical stuff and then you have to go sing
2: festivals I was afraid. <laughs> oh, oh, really life. Life.
1: and because she sang it so well you gotta sing it close to that or forget it you actually have to sing it the way she sang it or forget it you know and not only that and then you have to sing uh oh,
2: time
1: all of that it's all technical you have to know how to approach so that nobody you must say it so well that people never forget who you are that's my motto but
0: you you do everything right i mean you you can do the classical you can do the jazz you can like like you yeah. said your your yeah tertiary education Studies laid the foundation for you to be able to yeah. do whatever now. Yeah. But after you won the old Mutual Jazz Into the Future competition in 1999 and then signed yeah. with BMG Africa back in the day, I mean, for a young up-and-coming singer, what did that win and that signing also mean for you as a young vocalist who was trying to establish herself in an industry.
1: Nothing. I didn't want to do it. Really? Oh my God. Yes. I, and people don't believe me when I say this. I was not interested. I didn't want to record. Oh my goodness. I, it, I, I was at a place where I thought if I recorded, because I had been listening and watching you know, our industry for so long from a distance, I loved the life of being called to go sing, you know, impact people, let people, you know, on stage, live, the live effect of it. I didn't want this radio thing. I did, I didn't, you know, because my life, I was so comfortable. And I thought at the time that was the ultimate, mm. you know, I thought this is it because I was singing everywhere with, you know, singing with everyone, singing with orchestras, philharmonic orchestras, symphonic orchestras. Traveling to New York before A Cry was released, I was already, I had traveled with Nelson Mandela. I had done so much. I was, I had sung at Kofi Annan's uh, installation. I, uh, um, uh, um, and it, that was in New York. Listen, I had done <laughs> stuff. And they called me to say, come and, I mean, you will re- signed this. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to give my life away to these shops. They're going to rip me apart. <laughs> so how old? How old were you at the time? I don't even think I was. I don't. I don't remember. How old was I? I don't remember. Maybe twenty. I was in my 20, early twenties.
0: So, so that's very interesting because a lot yeah. of musicians now, if they had won a competition like that, it's big for them. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and they wouldn't even think twice about. Yeah. Uh, signing. Yeah, quote unquote signing their life away. So exactly. it's very interesting that you at that age were like, no, I don't want to do that.
1: I really didn't. And you know what happened? People don't know that I waited three years after signing that contract. I waited three years before I could actually record a Christmas money dance. I was not interested at all. And they kept on threatening me that we're gonna give away your contract. Actually they 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 pestered me so much. My excuse was I'm still at school and i've got a lot of shows Mm. i'm still writing please give me time i was not even doing such i was just on the road i was working i was making money i bought my first car cash i was living your best life but you know and i was i was loved in cape town i was the girl i was the girl you know And every band wanted to work with me. It was just such a blessing, you know, to be in that space and to be appreciated that way. So eventually I decided to, you know what made me record? Mm. Remember, I had uh, two kids at the time. Mm -hmm. So the father decided to actually take the kids and bring them to Joburg. Oh, how I loved my kids. I followed. (laughs) I'm going to sell my kids in Joburg. I'm coming with you. So I went. I came to Joburg. When I got to Joburg, I had no choice. Sony was right next door to me. Mm-hmm. I had to go see their offices. When I got there, they were like, "Oh, it's that girl that won the old Mutual Jazz Encounters. That's mm-hmm. the girl. Oh, that's the girl. When is she recording? When?" Is... And then we recorded a cry, smile, and a dance, and it became such a massive success.
0: I mean, le- but let's talk about being the Cape Town girl, the flavor of Cape Town, because yeah. One of the most heartbreaking moments just before lockdown hit, I mean, for me at least, was when the Cape Town International Jazz Festival announced that they were going to postpone 2020's show. I mean, it wasn't surprising given that the entire world was shutting down, but it was heartbreaking because it's such a phenomenal event, annual event on on a completely different scale. And you were about to perform. At yeah. the uh, the 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 jazz festival yeah, for the fourth jazz, time, yeah. yes. but but let's talk about the very first time that you stepped yeah. onto the jazz festival stage in 2000. Because I mean, it's called Africa's grandest gathering for a reason, and everyone yeah. comes from all of the world to see us and to hear yeah. Africa perform. Can you describe that feeling of walking onto stage? Uh, but then also um, off stage, after your first performance,
1: <sighs> it's the best. This is when you have but, a sip of your yeah. chardonnay. <laughs> I just did. <laughs> really, I just did. <laughs> so let me tell you. Um, when I okay so basically I I have always had a wonderful amazing relationship with the Cape Town Jazz Festival they are the the, the, the ones who firstly took me to Holland to go perform at the North Sea in the Hague, at, yeah in The Hague mm-hmm. I that was my very first uh, performance because remember um, the Cape Town Jazz. Was named um, the North Jazz Festival at first. Yes, in Johannesburg. In, sorry, in Cape Town. In right. Cape Town. So, so the the first one was in Holland. So that that one blew my mind. I went on that stage before Marcus Miller, and he was standing. I remember on my on my right hand side at the corner. And we were performing, he came out to watch who was on that stage because everyone, I think it was about 10,000 or 15,000 people in that hall. Oh my gosh. Because I was put on the main stage. Imagine this little girl from in The Hague for the. Woo! You know? I went on that stage and I sang, and everyone sang. A lot. They 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 sang. They they were singing to that song, like they knew it, and it was for the first time they were hearing it.
2: And wow. from then
1: on, what all the songs, everybody was dancing to them. A Cry, a manner and a dance. we performed with everybody. We had only a 1,000 CDs, and they were finished within like five minutes. Oh, my oh, god. So I, I could have been so wealthy. Imagine like, oh, wow what, <laughs> is, what, is what is that currency there? Euros. But back in the day, it pass. would
0: have been something else, whatever the yeah. currency was in the Netherlands at the time.
1: I would have been so wealthy from just having sold. I don't know how many CDs. So they brought them. They bought all of them. So now, that was my first time. And then I performed on quite a few of them when they came to Johan, when they were eventually, you know, contracted with um, ESP for for Cape Town, for mm-hmm. the Cape Town label. Mm-hmm. But now, can I please talk about the 2017 one that I remember? It was not my first time on that massive stage, but that particular one, we actually just played it now online for our people. And that show, when I performed on in 2017, the most special moment for me was walking on stage, walking on and hearing, seeing, because I, you know, I always set my shows as a production. It's not just a show. We don't just walk on. We've thought about it. We've walked it. We've talked about lighting. We've talked about sound. Where are you going to put this effect? Where do you walk in? Where do you exit? All of that. It's a show. It's a production. So I walked on when they started my You know, because it was dark and I had to be, you know, spotlighted. And, oh, the people, it's green. And then, you know, we like drama on stage. So I had to pause (laughs) a little bit and let everybody to be quiet. Because I knew the first song I was singing, they were going to go crazy for it. And it happened exactly as I had imagined it. So you have to actually plan it, see it. When you do that, you become a part of the show before you get to the show. So it was so amazing. And that was the best moment. The another best moment, besides throughout the show, giving people that much love, so much love. When I was leaving, they called me back again. They could not stop singing my last song. The audience stayed behind and they had to go out because there was another show that had to be prepared. But... People stayed behind singing man that song. It was amazing. The best, those are my best parts. Best that is incredible.
2: Ever.
0: Yeah. But I, I read that while you were performing at the North Sea Jazz Festival, Marcus mm-hmm. Miller, the legendary bassist who you mentioned earlier, he yes. said to yes. Billy Domingo, who you went with to yes. the North Sea Jazz Festival, he said, yes. that girl that girl with the big hair, we want her. And <laughs> I love that so much because especially in light of the story yeah. that you told me earlier about you yeah. got to Cape Town and you got out of the taxi or the bus and, you know, those yeah. girls looked at you and they laughed, you know, because of your yeah. hair or whatever they were laughing at. And here yeah. you've got one of the best bassists in the world yeah. going, that girl with the hair. That one. Yeah. Her. Do you we want her? Do you feel like African musicians have an inferiority complex? Like they don't realize that their sound and their rhythms and their soul, like the rest of the world actually can't get enough of them. And and how do you break out of that mindset if you're stuck in it?
1: Okay, you see, um, I, I'm glad you asked that. I, I agree with you. Um, I think it's confidence, firstly. It's confidence in who you are as a South African artist. The power, our sound, not even our music, our sound, Mm -hmm. our colors of the clothing, the food we eat, our language, you know. Um, We are so rich in in, in its wealth that we have. We're not even aware of it. Mm -hmm. So when they come, they tap into it, they want it. And when they have it, we are like, oh, but that's ours. You know, so... I came from hands whereon I was told that you got to get on that stage and sing as if that is your last show. You don't have any other moment. When you drop that microphone, you're dead. (laughs) So what are you going to impress? What are you going to say? Me? And and that's how I've been performing my entire life until today. I perform as if when I drop that microphone, I'm going to die. So I want you to remember me that oh she gave her best and i know that i'm not going to die because I, it's not going to happen now so, but I, just that feeling it gives you it pushes you to think i don't have any other moment i might never get booked i might never get an opportunity to sing to these people somebody in that audience wants to hear my voice. They want to be healed by my voice. Mm. They want their life to be tra- transformed. Relationships get healed, you know, when we sing, when I sing. And it's been proven. I've heard it. I, I've i lived it. I've seen it. I've been inboxed. I've been told. I've celebrated with them. Mm. So it's what we do. So I get on that stage and I do that. I just... The, my, Especially when I know that you're from the US, Ooh, I'll show off. <laughs> I'm going to sing every song that has got a. <laughs> you don't even have to understand. I'm going to confuse you like crazy because that's my sound. So, you know, so, and I'm proud of it.
0: So, this is why, in my mind, you are one of the best performers that I've ever seen because when you are on stage, I feel like you are completely convinced of every single word that you're singing. And in that moment, when you're on stage, like you're living every bit of pain and joy that the lyrics are communicating. How, how difficult or easy on, on the other side is it to tap into reliving that?
1: (sighs) Um, I, I would say that it's it's both. Mm. It's it's difficult and it's easy. Uh, it's difficult because it reminds me of the pain, and I have to hold back the tears sometimes. But me, I'm a crybaby, so I, I cry a lot. So I love expressing uh, myself. I don't I don't believe in giving you fake.
2: Mm. I don't
1: believe in giving you what is not me. So um that's where that's what that's what the difficult part is about performing on stage the easy part is i love the melodies and i know i know that when i sing um i feel good about it and i enjoy it i wanna i want i'm going to hear my own voice i see
2: your face your pretty little
1: face and you know, change it and sing that song however many ten times I can. That message is going to be so beautiful because someone else is receiving it well. You know, that's what makes it easy. My job gets easy that way. That's when it becomes my job that I'm going to sing it. Someone wants to hear a Christmas dance or they want to hear Memutari. They want to hear any of the songs that they love and we get to give it to them. Even when I'm on stage and our program is set. If I if I hear or if I feel in my spirit, I'm better connected, you know, so to spiritually to God. So I always tap into that I will listen to spiritually to who wants to hear what. Before we go, I will sing that song. And people will say, Oh, we thought you were never gonna do it. We thought this, we thought that. So <laughs> that's where you know our, our, our craft, our gift becomes a blessing. So it's difficult and it's very easy. It's very, very easy to do. But the difficult part is tapping into exactly what you you wrote down. We don't write down words. We write down our emotions.
0: Talk to me about your music's ability to be able to communicate a message and to connect with an audience without necessarily speaking the same language. I mean, you have performed all over the world to many yeah. audiences who don't speak the same language that you're singing in, but yeah. they're still right there with you in every moment. How do you engage with an audience like that?
1: I think it's melodies. I was taught that um, when you, simplicity kills firstly, and when you write melodies that are that people will remember, not difficult melodies, um, it's it's the money that a child should be able to hum back to sing back to you after hearing it for the first time children are very innocent and they're very honest they're the most honest Mm. so when i go to mozambique for example um i have a song i have songs that people don't hear on radio but they know that i perform those songs they know they know all the songs because they buy cds so when i got to mozambique i remember Actually, no, all the time it's now their favorite it's EO they will sing it word for word I don't even know if they understand what they're saying and then it's another song called chiwana chiwana is, is it's talks, it talks it talks about um, homelessness it's a homeless child basically um, no it was inspired by a homeless family that okay. I, I would always that I would see every time when I'm driving on my way to church, on my way back. In and out of winter season, raining season, whatever, they are just at the same spot. We No matter whether you buy them food or not, that woman was just there all the time. So uh, me and my kids, one day we decided that every Sunday when we come back from church, we're just gonna buy them something. So we would do that for a couple of months and then one day we never saw them. <clears throat> so I wrote that song because of them um it says um
2: macaroni le con in your
1: In Namibia, in Mozambique, they sing that song exactly as it is. And then it goes on. When it goes on, Mm -hmm. it goes, Mm -hmm. They scream when it gets there. The first time I heard them do that, I stopped and I cried. And the meaning of it is, um, it talks about love, blessings, as a way of life. And then, um I was basically crying out to people that we should actually help one another and bless one another. Blessing one another sometimes doesn't mean that giving me money. Just stop and say hello to somebody you know sometimes, or just ask them what's their story. you know um it's not all of them that are that are dangerous and bad. Some of them are mm-hmm. genuine. And some of them are forced to actually be bad and be in that space because they know nothing else. It's a way of protection for them. But, you know, sometimes it makes a difference and it changes someone's life. And we changed that family's life. And I was just saying homelessness, you know, they are homeless people also need love. They need caring, you know, they need a bit of food, blanket here and there. So that's what the song is about. Give them love. I just want to petition
0: right now for you to come back to text talk so we can do a podcast where you just sing. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> you just sing to me the whole time. Cause I'm like, you can't see on my side, but you know, I may or may not have shared a tear while wow. you were singing that yeah. because that was beautiful. But looking back at your career, I mean, like I, I said in the beginning it spans two decades, and that's only counting since your first album drop. Yeah. But I have to ask, how do you prioritize constantly reinventing yourself? Because, you on, honestly, you do it so, so well.
1: Um, I don't even know. Hey, I think it's um, – I, I, I'm, a, I'm a very curious person. And I'm open to, like I, I said earlier on, that I attend a lot of clubs. And, and even here now, um, I can go out and have and sit. I don't sit two meters. They said, how what is the distance for COVID? COVID distance is what? one what Two meters, right? One. It's 1. supposed five, to be a meter. A meter. I said 10 meters yeah. away from people. I'm like 10 <laughs> meters away.
2: <laughs> you come You're to like,
1: me. I don't care. I don't care what the health department says. Stay
0: 10 meters away from me. I wake
1: up, am (laughs) like, what's up? You know, so if I go out and then I'm having lunch somewhere and I just want to hear music because we will go crazy sitting closed up and this is not us, this is not our lifestyle. But we have to be safe. We have to abide by the rules and, and, you know, protect other people as well. So, but I need to get out at some point and just go breathe and just go listen to uh, music. It doesn't have to be live music. It's just music on the radio, just to see people around people. And now we can do that. So I do that now and then. So my doing that actually opens me up to hearing different styles, to hearing what people are doing now, currently what's happening. And then when you meet music, like now I want to collaborate with uh, whatever is current that is happening. You know, mm. um, we can change styles of music. We can actually blend them and make them work and, may, and come up with something amazing. That's what music is about. Taking, I'm a piano, taking Judith, put them together, Find something that works, and that we have the best of the best of both worlds. So that's what happens oh God, to me. I, um, that. I remain current that way. I'm like, okay, I love funk, so let me do a song. the Funk it up a bit. Let me collaborate with this person. Oh, I heard this this singer that is amazing. I want them to write for me. So that's how I become um, relevant, and and that's how I sustain my career, and that's how I remain current.
0: I mean, you did something very similar with the one campaign where you collaborated with Fali Pupa from yeah. uh, Congo Divine. and Debanj from Nigeria yeah. and then Buffalo Soldier from from Zimbabwe. Yeah. So I, like. I feel, I feel like I wish that more artists thought along the same lines that you did, because that really, that, this sort of like purist way of thinking, like, you know, I, I only perform opera and I don't really want to listen to anything else. Or, you know, I only perform jazz and I, you know, don't really want to branch out. I feel like the way that you, I mean, and listen, if you want to remain pure or a purist, that's fine. But the way that you stay current is to, like you mentioned, I'm a piano, which is incredible. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. and and a lot of people wouldn't even, wouldn't even, yeah start thinking about you know poten- potentially maybe like doing a maporisa collab or something like that you know yeah. so it it it's it's very refreshing to me to hear somebody like you of your stature talk about something like that
1: yeah yeah it's because um you know when jazz is is uh the the tr- is is trending now if jazz is the in style of music everybody knows jazz jazz nobody fights us people support us so when Ama Piano mm. is their season, let's support them. Let's be a part of them. Let's this is this is ours anyway. If America can take it and do something about it, Jerusalem became so big. It became the song. And then it had the dance. And he had so many views and it sold so many units. Mm. So why not be mm. a part of that? Because it's not your style, it's not your genre, it's not what you agree with. No, it's part of Africa. The world celebrates it, so you're gonna be left behind. So we gotta, we gotta support one another and be there for one another. Judith,
0: I am here for your train of thought. I am here for it all day, every day. <laughs> another thing that I'm here for all day, every day, are your Instagram posts. So you're, listen, you're basically a footfluencer. That's yeah. what you are. Yeah. <laughs> that is what I think you are and your instagram feed is so full of images and videos of you training yeah. and giving advice and motivating people yeah. and just like talking about how good it feels to treat your body right yeah. and i i know that your partner is also a trainer yes. so i want to know is he the one that's kicking your ass into gear or are you the one that's like okay i've got <laughs> my training down i've got my routine in in uh, like like waxed like who who is yeah. the one
1: who, who is, <laughs> who's uh, the one that's behind your motivation? Skara, he is, um, <laughs> he is, he pushes me so hard and you know, he's a, he's a person, he's an amazing personal trainer that I met uh, three years now today and this year, sorry, this year, three years. And when I met him, I met him because, um, you know, it's, it's just because when, you, when you're at gym, you meet different people all the time. And I'm alone mm. at the gym. I'm always training by myself. And I don't like being interrupted when I train. So when I'm in there, I'm, I get in there. And I think that's what he liked about my training. And then we talked about uh, having a session together. And unfortunately, it ended up, you know, where we are today, where on, he is my partner, he's the man in my life, and we're pushing really hard and encouraging one another so he even if he's not um training me he is out there he's out there i i know that this is what i'm supposed to do and when we come home he will ask me what did you do how many reps okay. really oh, yeah so and it's it's a conversation and sometimes we sit at home like yesterday i said to him baby is there a way we can Actually, stop um, being on the phone. Can we have a rule that from seven o'clock we get off the phone? Because what we do is he's sitting on his phone.
0: You sound like my boyfriend. I love
1: it. Yeah.
2: (laughs) yeah. And then he's calling and he's
1: checking videos of trainers because we're looking, we we always look for different workouts because this is what the body does. The body does not react uh, or does not respond if you feed it the same thing over and over again. The same thing Mm. for for two months, you're doing even a month. You're doing the same thing, your body stays the same, and I get frustrated if I don't feel mm. like I'm moving. I get so I will go run 20 kilometers every day and to just to center my mind to come back to what can we do. And I never wanted to be 20 20 kilometers, 20. Then okay, 20, if 20 hurts, you let me do hey, 18. 18 <laughs> Yeah, like for example, sure. um, he always says to me, You haven't been running or two weeks. So next week at least do three days of running nonstop. Three or four days of running nonstop. And I know that it's nothing less than ten K. So it's a ten K run every morning and that's my warm up before I go to gym. It's ten Ks of running and then I'm gonna go to gym and do maybe an hour of something. So it's actually the body is used to it. My body is used to mm. it and and I know when to rest and know what to eat. We eat really well. Um, we were, you know, we we, we we do different things. We change our meals now and then as often as possible. So yeah, he, he's really I think I think everyone, all of us, we need someone who will encourage us to to become the better version of ourselves. And if you can have a partner who actually encourages you to do that, please don't 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 take it for granted. I appreciate it because it's it's worth it. It's
0: worth it. Mm, Preach, preach. But to go back to your music, I want to talk about the album that you released in 2019, Power of Dreams. Yeah. And you recorded it in the States, in Atlanta, and you decided you were going to produce the album, which, if I'm not mistaken, was actually a first for you. What was the significance of recording the album in Atlanta Was this because you wanted access to specific people and musicians, or did you just feel like you needed a fresh space to write from?
1: I was tired of South Africa. Oh, I was tired of my home. I was tired of um, the sameness at the time that I was. I was. I felt I had a writer's block. I had a life block. I had a love block. I had everything blocked so um i wanted a, 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 a new start so the plan mm. was not to go record in the u.s it was to go live there for a couple of years oh wow okay yes and when i got there um i started working i would never leave south africa for anything i love my country i love everything about it but i needed to step out a little bit and then come back because in that time I was traveling a lot to, it was between London and the U S London and the U S and mm-hmm. I was putting together my own shows in London and in the U S. So I did a bit of toy in London and then I did a bit of shows in, in, in the U S and in the U S um, Felicia, my um, boozo saddle got me some work. I would work in Atlanta. And then I decided, you know what? There are these great musicians around me. Every time when we go to jam sessions, I meet amazing people. I'm, producers of the top artists in the world. Um, people who have worked with Bobby Brown, Whitney Houston, all of them were around me and musicians as well, including Tony Braxton's guitarist, who's playing on my on the same album. And some of them, oh, they've, they've played with so many amazing Grammy Award winners. And I was like, okay, this is what I needed. So we went into the studio, we started playing around. And let me tell you, I started writing and the songs came, they started flowing. And I realized the way I'm writing c and the way I got them to play my c songs, I'm going back home. Mm. So after recording that album, I was so happy, came back home. I I actually wanted to shoot the album Sleep That Side. So let me tell you a joke. So Fantasia Baruno, I love her. She's one of my favorite um, singers and her, fo- her her photographer was not far from where i was in atlanta so i heard that you know this guy shoots beautiful pictures so i started finding out more about him we contacted them for an album sleeve oh they sent us the quotation oh mighty lord <laughs> how much how much I don't level remember, with me but i knew that it was about uh, I would have Ballpark. I would, I would, yeah, I would have basically spent about sixty thousand rands to seventy thousand rands on an album sleeve, and that was just for one picture.
0: I'm taking a sip of my wine. Me too. Why well, do you say that?
1: <laughs> sixty thousand rand on one picture. Sixty to seventy thousand, and that was for three hours. So if you don't get it done in that three hours, and that's for one picture. So you, they send you pictures. You choose the sleeve you want. They edit it. They send it back to you. How about you? Do to, do that's, it, that's not it, again. Okay. No, I was Mm-mm. like, thanks, thanks, goodbye. And I came home and did my sleeve here at home. It ended up turning out so beautiful. But
0: you spoke about being in Atlanta and being around musicians and people that have collaborated with high profile musicians and the co-producer of that album has worked with the highest caliber of musicians like you mentioned Bobby Brown he worked with Bobby Brown Justin Bieber and I mean let's not forget Prince like the legend yeah but what was it like having him by your side as a co-producer
1: he was amazing. um he actually is here now. He's staying in South Africa. So Joey was um a drama that I met working with who was he working with? Um, we were built up together with um I'll tell you that I forgot his name uh, at uh, one of the radio stations uh, we had a cruise. And we went to Moza. It was at one of the islands. And I, I saw this young drama playing in the most amazing way. Oh, my God. Even though we kicked their butt because our show was the <laughs> highlight of the entire tour, of the entire cruise for four days, you know, we connected. And I remember him saying, I said to my pianist that I want to go say hi. I'm so shy. I'm afraid to greet people. I want to say hi to that guy, man. I want to work with him. And they went to him. They told him that he wants to work with me. And he came to our show to come and see, you know, who we are. And he loved us. He went back home and when he, we exchanged contacts. And then when I wanted to record uh, one word, I approached him. And then he said, send me some files. And we sent him some files. And then out of the blue, I decided, no, man, this guy must come to South Africa to come play here. So we brought him down (laughs) for three weeks. Yeah, we brought him down for three weeks. He played with us on the album, on one-word album. And then that's how I got the connection to, we became such great friends. That's how I got the connection to actually go to the U.S. to go record. He was my contact for you know, the US. Whenever I wanted, yeah, to go to the US, he'd say, Oh no, come, you know, we're gonna hook this up. We're gonna come on, Jay. We we're gonna we're gonna do this. Girl, we're gonna do this. So we would go there and just work and work and work. He's a workah- workaholic. So and I love people like that who are driven, who don't stop. So I was I was I was in my zone. So in the US guys, it is beautiful. It is fun. When you feel you are blocked, you can just go there. Life is amazing. I mean, New York is something else. So, yeah, yeah,
0: New York is absolutely phenomenal. Oh, fire, One of, fire, fire, uh, you, you, But, you know, Judith, Judith you, have, you have achieved so much overseas, but also so much so back home. Like, you know, you, you've played Emperor's Palace in Joburg on numerous occasions. Yeah. And I saw that very recently – you were inducted into their Hall, well, their Walk, not their Hall of Fame, their Walk yes. of Fame, which has yes. handprints in cement <laughs> and everything, which yes. I think is so cool. Yes. How phenomenal does it feel to be honoured in your home country and in such a big way?
1: It's the best. I'm telling you, um, they can honour me anywhere else, but here at home it's the best. This is where I am. This is This is my home. This is where I live. This is where I was born. My family is here. My roots are here. So what better place to be celebrated than your home? So it was really amazing. It was really great. And we actually have three shows coming up, 29th and 30th. Uh, 29th of May, sorry, we have two shows at Emperor's Palace. Uh, Because of the limitation of the people we can have, we're trying to make sure that we accommodate everyone by having two shows each day. So, yeah, I'm excited about that show. It's actually a celebration of 20 years of A Cry, A Smile, and A Dance because A Cry, A Smile, and A Dance is actually celebrating its 22 decades. Can you believe it? Two decades. Wow, Judith. Yeah. But
0: also, I will be up in Johannesburg over those dates. So I am buying myself a ticket because I feel like that is an event that is not to be missed, but also – uh, Judith, I just wanted to say thank you very much for joining me on text Talks. You, you are an absolute legend and this is a bucket list interview for me that I will remember for the rest of my life. So I cannot wait to, to see you at the end of May at yeah. Emperor's Palace. Yeah. And hopefully we can do this again yes, where, where like I said, you can just you can just sing.
2: Yeah, we should.
1: <laughs> we should thank you so much for having me tonight and everybody, the entire team. Matt and John, thank you so much.
2: Thank you.
0: Shout out to Judith Sapuma for joining us in studio. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Text Talks. Be sure to check out TextTalks.com for more episodes. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or listen to Text Talks on all good streaming platforms. Also a huge shout out to Tom's, the only music store, for being the most incredible technical supplier. From myself, Tex, our producers, Jonathan Ings and Matthew Luritz, and our research assistant, Al Clapper, catch you on the flip side.